Probably more than half of our folks had no idea what they just saw, but just so you'll know, that was actually a show that used to come on TV back in the day. Maybe it still comes on TV land. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. But I don't know about you, but I I grew up watching the Beverly Hillbillies and watching Jed Clampett and their cement pond and and, and had a little crush on on the daughter. And, you know, I mean, Jethro Bodine was kind of my hero and reminded me much of my family. And so I grew up with the Beverly Hillbillies. How many of you grew up watching the Beverly Hillbillies? Let me see your hands. Oh, my goodness. There's more than I thought. Okay. Well, I'm surprised you weren't singing the theme song. You were kind of mumbling and humming, but I mean, you know, that, that, that song almost beckons to be sung. I'm not going to do that. No, almost. Almost. The Beverly Hillbillies, interesting concept. I mean, just a mountaineer, country boy out there shooting some, you know, just shooting at some food and up from the ground comes a what? A bubbling crude. I mean, he struck oil. He hit the lottery. I don't know about you guys, but I don't play the lottery, but I sure am tempted at times when I drive by and see $206 million on that, on that sign. I'm like, my gosh, I'm not, I'm not a gambling man, but boy, sure is tempting. I don't, but I, you know, he hit the lottery for all practical intents and purposes, and all of a sudden, this mountain man who was poor, I mean, he wasn't just poor, he was poe. Come on, somebody. He was poe. This man that was poe, all of a sudden has more than he knows what to do with. And, of course, the kin folks said, Jed, move away from there. They said, what? California. California. you got to say it right. California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly. All right. That's what happened. But here's the interesting thing. Even though the country boy left the country, the country never left the country boy. And it's interesting because we laugh about it, and it's fun, and it's entertaining, and, and the situations were always hysterical. But there's also something else I take away from that, and it is this. There was a spirit of poverty connected to the mentality of the place where he came from. And even though we laugh at the situations and it's fun to watch, the, the, that spirit of poverty never came out of that family. Even though they had more money than they knew what to do with, they had more stuff than they knew what to do with, they still, at the core, lived in that poverty mindset, that pole mindset. But let me tell you something that, that, that I believe the Word of God teaches about you and I. Is that we do not operate out of the place of trying to be blessed. We don't operate out of the place of trying to fight the good fight of faith. We don't try to somehow obtain victory. In fact, the Bible tells us, and it's clear and it's replete over and over, with instances where we, in fact, fight from the position of and live from the position of overflow and blessing. You need to understand something. You're not trying to be blessed. You are blessed. The word blessed simply means empowerment to succeed or an empowerment to prosper. It's an ability. You already have it. If you are in Christ and you know Jesus as Lord and you stepped over the line and said, I'm giving him my life, I'm giving him my all, you already are under the the, the grace and of blessing. You are blessed, not going to be, not someday, not maybe. You operate now out of the place of blessing. Say, I am blessed 
Turn to your neighbor and say, he's definitely talking about you. Now, it's interesting to me that most Christians I talk to, not everybody, but many, live with this mentality of poverty that even though they are now in Christ, and they would, they would theologically agree with you, oh, yes, I'm in Christ, I'm in Jesus, I'm a child of God, oh, yeah, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, oh, yeah, my father, he's, he owns the, the, the cattle on a thousand hills. Even though you'll hear people articulate that, when you get down to it, we still operate out of a spirit of poverty many times. It was interesting, and I've told this story a long time ago. I was at a conference, an Every Nation conference, and a bunch of us guys got together, and we were down in the Austin area, and uh, I just started playing golf again after many years of not playing golf, and we went out to this golf club, this, this nice little place, and, and, and I'm playing, and J.R. Ruiz, who's our, one of our Every Nation pastors in Albuquerque, New Mexico, He's playing, and I'm playing, and I, I was so excited, I just picked up the game again, so I went out and I bought a golf bag, a new golf bag. Not clubs, but a new golf bag. So I've got this brand new, shiny, clean golf bag. If you, if you golf, you know, if after they've been out a few times, they don't look shiny and clean, but mine's shiny and clean because it's brand new. And I'm putting it on the golf cart, and Pastor JR s- says, hey, that's a nice golf bag. And my immediate response was, we need to understand, I got it on sale. I immediately began to apologize for having a nice golf bag. And he checked me up. I mean, it might as well, I, I might as well have been out on, a, on the ice in, in a hockey game getting checked into the glass. Because he checked me up and he said, he stopped me. He goes, never apologize for being blessed. And at first, I kind of got defensive, like, oh, I wouldn't apologize. I'll just tell you, I got it on sale. I just got a good deal on it. And he picked up on that spirit, and he said, never apologize for being blessed. I want to say something to you here today. Every one of you are blessed. Never apologize for being blessed. Because that spirit reeks, and it is a spirit. If you are a child of the Most High God, man, it's so funny how we'll, we'll use the language, oh, I'm a child of the king. Well, if you're a child of the king, that makes you a prince or a princess. Am I right? Oh, but, well, you know, I mean, I don't want to be proud or puffed up or anything. Listen, I'm not talking about being arrogant and boastful and proud. I'm talking about simply stepping into your rights as a child of God. We just spent the last few weeks talking about our identity, who we are in Christ, and that leads us really naturally into this series called Overflow where we're going to talk about who we are and that we are positioned in the place of blessing in Him. The Bible says we've been raised up together, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where you are. Say, I'm blessed. You know, it's funny because even as I call on you to say that, some of you are struggling to get it out of your mouth. Let me tell you, the indications of that spirit of poverty is that, that always feeling a need to apologize for what you have. It's funny because you can't, there's some people you can't even give a compliment to. Well, that's a nice truck. Oh, well, let me tell you about that truck. I, I, I've, I've saved for it for 20 years, and uh, I put a huge down payment on it, and I got blessed at work with a bonus. And I mean, we, we go into this idea that we've got to somehow apologize for what we have. 
You want to know a sure indication of that spirit? Let me tell you something. If there is a spirit attached to that, that is not a spirit of God. And if it's not a spirit of God, then what is it? You can figure that one out for yourself. If it's not of God, it's not, there's not a, there is no Denmark in the spirit, by the way. There is no neutral. It is what it is. And it's demonic in nature. And what it comes off as false humility. It makes us sound like, oh, well, you know, I just, you know, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have much. I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. At some point, we have to stop and say, you know what? God is so good. God is so amazing. And he has blessed my life. And I'm so grateful. And that attitude of gratitude can certainly dispel that spirit of poverty that we carry. But we're going to deal over the next few weeks the spirit of poverty, a death blow. How many of you ready to hack the head off of that thing? Come on, somebody. It's time to cut the head off of that thing and deal that thing a death blow. Amen? You know, as we kind of we're shifting gears, and, and I heard the, the Christmas, uh, the new Michael Buble. Come on now. That's awesome stuff. As I heard, I was like, oh, man, that's just awesome. It got me all, all feeling good. And I don't know about you, but I, Pandora is my friend on my phone. I love Pandora Internet Radio. Well, I, there's a great station, by the way. It's called the White Christmas Station or White Christmas Radio. So check it out. If you like classic Christmas music, and listen, I love it all. I like the new stuff. I like the old stuff. But I have been listening to Christmas music for weeks, freaking my family out, because I'm usually not like that, but I've just been grabbing hold and just enjoying just having the atmosphere saturated with the spirit of Christmas. Now, as we turn the corner from, from Halloween, now looking down the pike at the holidays, something begins to happen in many of us. Tension begins to build. Because now there's, there's that sense of, here come the holidays, yay, and then here come the holidays, oh no, this is going to get expensive. And so we want to spend a little bit of time talking about how we can deal with and so that we can prepare for the coming holidays so that you do not live under this obligation and this lie that the enemy and the world wants to perpetuate that you've got to spend everything you have, go into debt just to please somebody who's not going to care a couple of months later or even a few days later. So we're going to talk about that because we need to deal that spirit a death blow as well. And what that is, it's an expectation. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in that. And suddenly what should be the most amazing holiday ever, Christmas, turns into something very dark and even depressing. And they call it they even call it the, the blues. I mean, we get into this blue season where everybody seems to be just in this weird place. But let me tell you something. We need to celebrate what's coming because let me tell you what Christmas represents. It represents the birth of my Savior, the birth of my Lord. And let me tell you, I'm not going to let the world or anybody else taint that or expectations taint that. I'm going to celebrate Jesus, and I'm going to enjoy my Christmas music. Come on, somebody. Amen? We need to know that we serve a God. Now, listen to this, because this is, this is, to me, it's so important to understand. It has called us to live life out of the overflow. Not to live life behind the curve. Not to live life under a lid. In John uh, Maxwell's book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, one of those is the law of the lid, and he talks about living underneath this cap. 
And this sense where you feel like you're constantly limited, constantly held back, that is not the call of God in our lives. Jesus made a comment when he said the thief comes, he just comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then he flips that script and says, but I have come that you might have what? Say it. Life and what? Life more abundantly or to the full. That is the life we are called to live, a life of abundance, a life of overflow, life to the full. So full that we're leaking out everywhere we go. And everywhere we go, we're spilling out this life. I sent Rachel to the refrigerator a while back, and I said, Rachel, could you get me some water? Now, I wasn't literal. She's 11, so sometimes you've got to be pretty specific and I didn't say anything. I just said, bring me some water. I was upstairs in my study, my little man cave, and I was studying. She said, sure, Daddy. So she comes, she goes downstairs, she gets a cup, and she fills it up. And I'm talking fills it up. I'm talking to the brim. So she's going to take this cup that's filled literally to the brim, as full as it could possibly get. And she is going to navigate the stairs and come all the way up to give Daddy his water. Well, let me tell you something. What she ended up with by the time she got to my desk was not what she started with. You know why? Because it was so full, it was just leaking out, overflowing. And every step she took, water jostled out of that thing and ran down the cup because it was in overflow mode. And let me say something. When I think about that, I think that's how the life of a believer ought to look. The joy that's in you ought to be over. You ought to be just spilling out everywhere you go. That's overflow. The life that's in you ought to be spilling out everywhere you go. Overflow. The abundance that's in you ought to be spilling out everywhere you go and leaking on people and touching their lives. I love what Dr. Mark Rutland said. Recently, we were at a conference the Dream Conference, our Every Nation Conference this year, this summer. And he made this comment. He said, you know, the truth to be known is you've never had a bad day since you were born again. You've never had a bad day since you were born again. Since the day you were born again, everything has been up from there. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have bad moments and things happen because life happens. Things get difficult. We've experienced that even this weekend. Difficult things happen. But let me tell you something, life goes up from here. And when you have that attitude and that mentality and that attitude of gratitude and that attitude of perspective that says, you know what, I know who I am in Christ. I know whose I am because of Christ. And because of that, life is good. My circumstances may not be, but life is. Come on, somebody say life is good. Life is good. God is good in all the time. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 17. I know you probably did your devotional reading there this morning. 1 Kings 17. We're going to pick up here a, an account. It's not just a story. It's an account of something that actually happened with real people, real lives, and real situations. The economy at this time was in a terrible place. They were in a famine. They had been in a drought for years. And literally, it was to a point where people were literally dying right and left. And we even have a situation where Elijah the prophet, the man of God, was in a situation where he needed 
help. And so I'm going to read, I'm going to read off the screen. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, quote, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Someone say my word. And we're going to talk about we give on a word because what we do in living life out of the overflow comes not because of a circumstance, but because of a word. Then the word, someone say the word, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan. Keep going. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Now this is interesting that God has ordered these birds, which in some ways we see as trash birds around here. And we see the blackbirds. If you've ever parked your car under a tree at the mall in Abilene, how many of you have made that mistake? Listen, I see a tree in the mall of Abilene. I go as far from it as possible because you're not even safe even being, a, even being a few spaces from it. You know what I'm saying? Because the blackbirds here, I mean, they, they roam in these huge, huge groups, and they make horrific messes everywhere they go, and they seem to like that part of town for some reason. But he, God ordered these blackbirds, these ravens, to literally feed the prophet of God. And let me just say something about this and make a little note here. Never, never, disdain the creative manner in which God can use to provide for you. Never think in terms of God can't do it. My circumstances to the point where I, there is no way we're going to make it. I, I, some of you are in a place right now where you think there is no way. There is no way in the natural. There's no way this is going to work out. Let me tell you something. You don't serve a God of no way. You serve the God of all the way. You serve God Almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh, the one who can make a way where there is no way. Whatever your circumstance is, and this is of the Lord today, I want you to listen to this. No matter what your situation is right now, God is on it. He has not left the building. He is not like Elvis. He's still here. He's not vacated the place. He's not vacated the premises. No one's going to evict him off the throne. And he is there, and he is in your corner right now. That's of the Lord. He says, you will drink from the brook because I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. God will get to you what you need, and he can do it in the most creative way. So I don't know about you, but I'm like, Lord, whatever, however you choose to do it, I'm not, I'm not going to try to dictate that to you. I'm just going to receive what you bring. And God took care of the man of God. He took care of the prophet. Let's keep going. So he did what the Lord had told him. Key there. He did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. Let's pick it up. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So there was one little brook that was running, but here's what happened. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Let me tell you something. When God gets ready to move you, sometimes he'll dry up your brook. Let me say something. If you stay where God, when God has already began drying the brook up, you will go into a famine personally, and you will dry up on the inside. God will use a famine to move you if he needs to. Can I get an amen? Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. That's a signal. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow. First of all, he's got ravens feeding him. Now he's talking about a single mom in a famine, in a drought, in an economic depression. You think she had a lot to give? Let me, let's watch what happens. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Well, she must be loaded. She must have hit the lottery. She must have, she must have been shooting at some food, and up from the ground comes a bubbling crude. Let's watch what happens. So he goes to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. So he calls to her and says, hey, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? You've got to understand, what he's asking is a big thing. So look what happens. As she was going to get it, he called, oh, and by the way, on your way back, bring me some food too. That's, that's like, like me sending you in a depression asking for a drink of water and you're going to get it. And I go, oh, by the way, prepare, go ahead and make me a steak while you're at it. I'm kind of hungry too. It, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous what he's asking. Now look what happens. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. Now look at this. Look at the fatalism here. That we may eat it and die. She's like, look, all I, we're just going to have one final meal and we're done. We're, we're, at, we're at the end. Let me tell you something. If you feel like you're at the end in your circumstance, in your situation, you are set up and you're in the best possible place for a miracle. You are in the best place for God to work. Because when you come to the end of yourself, there is nothing else. And let me tell you something. God has a way of knocking our props and our crutches right out from under us. And we, we're, while we're rebuking the devil, God's setting you up for the next thing. Can I get an amen or an oh my or an ouch? That we may eat it and die. Now watch what happens. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. See, Elijah knew the God who provides because he had a history with God, because God had just fed him with ravens and provided for him. So he's like, if God said it, don't worry. He says, don't be afraid. Let me ask you a question. Do you have history with God? Have you been to the brink, to the edge and looked down and thought there's no other place to go? Have you ever been there? Let me just see a show of hands if you feel like you have been to the edge before. You've been there. Been there, done that, you've got the T-shirt. Some of you got a closet full of T-shirts, right? Some of you got a lot of closets. Been to the edge and look down, but do your hands again. One more time. Everybody just humor me for a second. You've been there, it looked bad, and then now look around the room. You're here. You're breathing. I'm not saying your circumstances all fixed and everything's together and everything's worked out just as it should yet. But let me tell you something. God is working on something on your behalf. He is the God who is possible. He's the God of possible and the God of probable, not the God of impossible. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, 
Make me a small cake of bread for me from what you have. From what you have. She didn't have much, but he said, from what you have, do something. From what you have, do something. I'm saying that by the word of the Lord today. From what you have, do something. Well, Pastor, I don't have very much, but from what you have, do something. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm at a place. No, no. From what you have, it all begins with a seed. A seed. Someone say a seed. Hold out your hand. Hold out your hand. Picture a seed in there. It all begins with a seed. And just as we drop our problems, we also plant seeds. And let me tell you something. What you have. From what you have. What do you have? What do you have? From what you have. And bring it to me. See, there's something about us taking what we have. It may not be much. It may be all we have. But we take what we have and we bring it. We bring it. There's movement involved. At the end of the day, right here, there's faith involved. He's calling her to do something. He's calling her to action. Bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Does that not sound like the pattern of God? See, when he talks about giving a tithe, he's not talking about if you have it left over at the end of the month. Everybody look at me and listen. Some of you are not going to like this. The givers are going to be real excited about this, but those who aren't and who have not gotten this revelation and stepped into this, you're going to be real uncomfortable with this. So the only tension that will be in the room are from those who are not givers by nature. That means you've not entered into the place of covenant with God, of understanding that I do what God says, not based on what I have, but based on what He can get to me because He is God. So I want to say this. The tithe is holy to the Lord. It's 10%. Was it gross or net? It's funny how that question comes up a lot. Let me just say this. This is my stock answer. Do you want to be blessed on the gross or blessed on the net? I want to be blessed on the gross. So it's the tenth. It's the first tenth of everything. Now, let me just say something. When you tithe and you step into that, because some of you say, well, I've tithed, but nothing seems to be happening. Let me just say something. Tithe is minimum. That's baseline. That's where you step into obedience. It's only when you step into this place of offering is where blessing comes. All right. One person agreed with me there. The rest of you are... Let me just show you. Can you skip to Malachi? I'm sorry, Malachi. I keep getting this Italian thing. Malachi, chapter 3. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Keep going. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees. You've walked in disobedience and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. There's the nature of God. There's the heart of God. See, we we look at this passage, and we get all nervous about it because, oh, God's trying to get into my back pocket, or some pastor or some preacher some church is trying to get something from me, some ministry. But let's see what the Word says and what God says. Return to me, I'll return to you. It says, walk in obedience, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? So they're asking an honest question, and here's his answer. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? Here's how we rob in tithes and offerings. Say that with me. In tithes and offerings. I figured that would be enthusiastic. Let's try it again. In tithes and offerings. Third time's a charm. Are you ready? I'm going to count to three. We're going to do it all together. We'll see how this comes out. One, two, three. In tithes and offerings. All right. That's a little better. 
Now, look what it says. That's, this is how it happens. Now, look at the next verse. You are under a curse. Someone say, uh-oh. All right, a curse isn't some mojo thing, all right? There's no voodoo doll, spiritually speaking. What a curse is, it's an empowerment to fail. It's an empowerment to fail. It's an ability to fail. In other words, you've enabled yourself, set yourself up for failure when you don't walk in this discipline, in this call of tithes and offerings. Can I get an amen or a mm-mm? Okay. You're under a curse. You're in a place where you've enabled yourself to fail. The whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Let's keep going. Bring the whole tithe. Someone say whole tithe. Let's all say that again. Whole tithe. Into the storehouse. Now, we can get in a wrestling match over storehouse. We can arm wrestle. We can whatever. Thumb wrestle. Whatever. But Because it, it, it comes to this point where it's like, well... I, I support several ministries, and, and so, so that's my storehouse. Let me tell you, your storehouse is where you are. And I, let me tell you something. I love ministries. I get excited. This morning, we watched Joyce Meyer. I'm like, man, she's awesome. Wow. What she's come from to where she's at and what God is continuing to do in her life, I'm just blown away. But let me say something. I'm not giving my tithe nor a part of my tithe to her ministry. Now, we support her ministry. We give an offering that way. But my tithe comes to this storehouse. This is the place. Look what it says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food there may be provision in my house. Let's keep going. Test me now in this. God doesn't say test me often, but he does here. Prove me now. Test me in this, says the Lord. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. You want to cut off the spirit of poverty, the head of that spirit? Here's what you do. You step into obedience to what God tells us to do. Not to what a preacher tells you to do, or a ministry, or a church, but what God's Word says to do. Forget me. Knock me out of the equation. This has very little to nothing to do with me. But it has everything to do with God's Word. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. I don't know about you, but that sounds like good. So much blessing that you will not have room enough. Room enough for it. You know what the point of overflow is? So that you can bless others. Overflow means you have enough, then you have more than enough, so that that more than enough can go to help somebody else and bless somebody else. That's what living life out of the overflow is all about. But you can't get there unless you're walking in obedience to His Word and that you are in a position to receive that so that you are overflowing. Just like that cup of water I was telling you about where Rachel overflowed it. Why? Because she, I said, fill it up. So she filled it up. And every move she made, she spilled some because it was overflow. It says, you'll not have room enough for it. Keep going. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. He says, in other words, I love the, uh, the, the King James, New King James. I will rebuke the devourer. See, there's a devourer out there. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. The word of rebuke means arrest or stop. I will rebuke, I will prevent them from devouring your crops. Next verse. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed. This goes right back to Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, which we are called to walk in according to Galatians chapter 3, where Jesus became a curse for us. Curses everyone hangs on a tree, but we now are heirs according to the promise, according to Galatians 3. This is ours. Say, this is mine. Say, in Jesus' name, this is mine. And it's exactly true. It is in Jesus' name and because of what Jesus did for us that he positions us here to be in a place of overflow. Someone say overflow. Overflow. Let me finish with this because this is so critical for you to understand. And it is this, the power of sowing and reaping. Go to Galatians chapter 6 again. This is the scripture I read just a minute ago. Galatians chapter 6. Are you there, Randall? Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Listen, I don't need to, to break that down for you. It says what it says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And here it is. A man reaps what he sows. Let me ask you a question because we're talking about living life out of the overflow. A man reaps what he sows. It's a simple principle, but it holds true. That whatever you sow, you're going to reap a like harvest. Like seed means a like harvest. So let me put it this way. Do you want friends in your life? Well, you better sow some seeds of friendship. Do you need encouragement? Nobody ever encourages me. No one ever says... Are you encouraging others? What have you sown? Because whatever you're reaping is a result of what you have sown. Because like seed bears like fruit. I just need more joy. I need more life. Are you sowing seeds of joy into others? Because what you sow is what you reap. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be mocked. Whatever you sow, whatever you... This is a man reaps what he sows. Like seed bears, like harvest and like fruit. So what do you need today? What area of your life needs to see overflow? Because let me just help you real quick. This isn't just about money. This is about life. Do you need more joy? Do you need more gratitude? Do you need a more positive outlook on the things that are going on in your life? You've got to sow like seed to reap like harvest. And that means whatever it is you're desiring to see, you must first sow the seeds for it. Are you hearing me? What is it that you need? You know what? Whenever I need healing in my body physically, you know what happens? God puts me in a position. It's the weirdest thing. It's like every time I end up praying for somebody for healing, it's typically when I feel the worst. Listen, God is all about divine setups. And it's, it's real interesting. We do a lot of freedom ministry here where we, we literally bring people in and we walk them through the steps to freedom, breaking off generational bondages, breaking off those ties that bind, so to speak. And literally, we do anywhere from two to four a week. Let me tell you, since we've been doing that for the last six months, all hell has broken loose. 
And let me tell you something. Every time we step into that arena, it's never on a good day. It's the weirdest thing. You would think that on those days that you're going to take somebody from bondage to freedom, that you're going to go in prayed up, you're going to go in fasted, you're going to go in all, man, just focused, and man, have been in the Word all day. But let me tell you how it usually happens. That's usually the worst day of the week. I mean, from the get-go, things get weird. you got a weird dream. You wake up feeling off-center and funky, and your whole day is like you're in a fun house. Everything's off-center. And you go sit down, and you're supposed to bring somebody to freedom. Let me tell you something. This is why it means it's not even about you. It's about the truth of God's word dispossessing the lies of the enemy. It has nothing to do with the vessels that are bringing it. We're just vessels. All we do is carry that truth. But let me tell you something. Don't ever think that, that, when, that it's just all going to be that day you feel great when you're called upon to sow seeds of freedom, sow seeds of joy, sow seeds of life. And don't think it's going to be on the day you hit the lottery that you're going to start tithing. Because it's going to be on that day when you've got just a little. And just like that widow, you just got to present what you have. The man of God said, just bring me what you have. Just make a little cake for me. That's all I'm asking. Just bring me what you have. And I'm telling you, when we bring what we have to him, and we say, here you go, Jesus. Here you go. Here's my loaves and fishes. That's all I got. But here it is. I present it to you. When he touches it, something happens. Because it was never about you or me in the first place. It's about all the people that are going to be blessed because we're blessed. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?